Namaste everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right, my guest today is Dr. Gautam Radhakrishna Desi Raju. Dr. Desi Raju is presently an honorary professor at the Indian Institute of Science, Bengaluru. He's a recipient of several prestigious international awards such as the Alexander von Humboldt. Uh, the TWS Award in Chemistry and the ISI Medal for Science of the University of Bologna. He was the president of the International Union of Crystallography between 2011 and 2014. But today, if you're not here to talk about Gautam uh, Desi Raju, doctors, uh, Desi Raju's uh, field, which is basically science, today we are going to talk about his book, which is Bharat India 2.0. Uh, sir, welcome and thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Kushal, for having me on Charvak and uh, looking forward to this conversation. So, sir, this is very interesting. You're from you're a person from a hard science background. You've, your previous books are on subjects of hard science. So, so first question to you is why this turn or uh, the world will say why this U-turn into the world of, uh, uh, you know, constitution and historical uh, happenings or the nature of an uh, state and things like that from hardcore crystallography and stuff like that well that's a interesting question and i guess somehow it's a natural question that people might ask uh, because i agree a typical scientists may not write books on constitutions uh, well what can i say kushal uh, Partly it was, I, see, I've always been interested in history. And uh, in those days, and maybe even today, you couldn't do a school leaving exam where uh, you could offer chemistry and history as two subjects. So by the eighth or ninth class, I think we were asked to choose. So, I mean, I was crazy about chemistry. So, but I always like to read history. I've always read about it. And uh, as I've explained in the preface, uh, when I finished my PhD and came back to India in uh, 78 and so on, and then just at the time when the emergency was over, and uh, I saw all these theatrics of our politicians, and I've been seeing those theatrics like all of us have over the last 30, 35 years. So I was really after some time beginning to wonder why were these things so complicated? Why were the, our politicians also doing the kinds of things they were doing? It, it, nobody would want to do such things just left to themselves. I mean, even politicians are all ordinary people, no? like you and me. I mean, the kind of you know contortions that people went through and stuff like that. And I guess it would have just gone on like that. And, uh, but it was this COVID thing that... Uh, kept me away from my lab students postdocs everything so like all of us we were in rigid home isolation and uh, i had a powerful internet and a laptop and so once you are there you're not really alone so i started reading and i don't know why exactly why i started reading about the constitution but uh, anyway i started and then i it was just getting addictive. I kept reading more and more. And then I got to the feeling that, see, one of the things that scientists do believe is this Occam's razor, which, you know, basically uh, says that 
if there are different explanations for a certain phenomenon, one should try to choose the easiest option. So, suppose, I mean, in a typical situation, there is some sort of an input into something. And then there is a system that processes this input and then generates an output. This could be a computer program, it could be anything, but could be a constitution. Now, no matter how good the input, if that system that processes it is faulty in some way, then the output of necessity will not be okay. No matter how good the input is, whatever, farming, anything, whatever you may do, medicine. So then I started saying, then, is there something essentially wrong with our constitution? I was not now at that stage thinking about amendments and other things, which I started reading about later on. And uh, was there something that was essentially wrong? And then I realized many things that I didn't know till then. I used to think that we got independence. And then suddenly they decided that we have to write a constitution. So they sat down and wrote a constitution. That's what I thought till a year and a half ago. I think many people, educated people have thought something like that. So then when I started reading, I realized that, okay, in school also, we had been taught some vague things. I now went back to distant, distant memory. Morley Minto reforms, I remembered. Montague Chelmsford reforms, I remember. But I was growing up in the 60s at a time when the English influence in schools was still very considerable, especially in Bombay, the place where I grew up in. So we didn't really learn much of even Indian history in those days. Indian history was also very sketchy. Some Mohenjo-Daro, Ashoka, then some Mughals or something, and then suddenly independence. That, that was all. Nothing else was taught. So then I realized that this uh, independence itself didn't come so easily to us. And that there was a constitutional history of India before independence. And in fact, I pinpointed the date as 1896, when the so-called first attempt by Indians to write a constitution, which is called the Swaraj constitution, was written. And then there was 50 years of documentation from the Indian side and the English side. See, they wanted to yield as little power to us as possible and we wanted to take the maximum. So these were two opposing tugs, you know, pulls. And then I started reading all this and then I said, Array, this writing of this, when we started writing the constitution itself, there was already a lot of documentation. So our fellows who wrote the constitution had some baggage with them. Another thing I didn't realize, Kushal, was that the constituent assembly was set up almost a year before independence. So for a whole year, they didn't even know whether there was going to be partition or not. I mean, I'll be frank, I didn't know. Maybe people who study these things and all, but I have never had time to study all this before. Then I started looking, what were they doing in that one year? And they had debates and all. What were they debating about? So I started reading all that. So then even before 15th August 47, that's why my first chapter is called India on 15th August 1947. So the first chapter describes the whole show for 
the preceding 50 years. So in answer to your question, I sort of got dragged into the project and I've written three other books. So I can only say one thing that uh, nobody sits down, nobody sits down and says, okay, let me write a book starting today. Nobody. Or any, if people are writing like in, with that kind of a frame of mind, I don't think those books will be very nice. A book, unlike scientific papers, and I've written many scientific papers, scientific papers you write with a different motivation, but a book somehow, it just comes out of, suddenly it comes out of your stomach. Yeah? And it, you just have to write it. And then I experienced the same feeling about this Bharat book that I experienced for my three other books. It happens very rarely. You know, you, you I mean, I've written these, my three scientific books starting from 89 and then 99 and 2011. So long gaps, but suddenly that feeling comes. And then when you can't miss that feeling. And I would advise people, if you don't get that feeling, please don't write a book. It will be it will be something, it will be a pamphlet or a review article or something like that. But so when you say, Wow, well, how did I write? It's not so strange for a scientist to write. I mean, what is there? I mean, we are uh, we study and we write like any, anybody else. And after some time, I started feeling that we were all I think I've always been told, you know, by non-scientists, oh, you people scientists, you must be very clever, you must be very busy, you must be wearing white coats and doing something in some lab. <laughs> You know, something like that. that. As if we are some, you know, weirdos who are somewhere else and don't really belong to the world. Then I got a bit angry also. I said, who are all these people to tell me that, you know, this is not my country and my constitution. It's my constitution, Kushal, as much as it's yours. It doesn't belong to some group of people who have self-selected themselves. And who want to tell the rest of us what this constitution means. It's, it's a, Finally, it's a written document. Anybody who has got reasonable cognitive skills should be able to read that, try to understand what it is and what the implications are. Anybody should be able to do it. Which is why I've also written at the end about the appendix. Don't read my book at all. Just read the appendix and look at the references. Read those references. You write your own book. You know, that, that, append, that appendix and references in my book is meant for a totally different purpose from other books. In other books or in my scientific papers or my scientific books, I refer, you know, we refer to something and say something, 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 reference 23. So if you look at reference 23, it will say blah, 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 something, something. But here it's different. My list of references is a reading list. And so anybody can go and read. That's all in the public domain. You write your own book on the constitution. It's it, it meant for all of us. It's a living, breathing thing. It's And because we are vital stakeholders in that constitution, because our lives are decided by that, you know. So if we don't know so many things, what's a republic, what's a democracy, you know, if we don't even know all these things, then I must say that we are also abdicating from, in a way, citizenship. So I started feeling like that and then the rest followed it, it came very fast. Actually, the whole thing was the whole text, you know, 400 pages was written in just two and a half months. Wow. Which, which was also the case in some of in all my earlier books, actually. So once idea, idea sub hai, no, in the brain, 
then it just it, it comes out so flaws and all so i think a book is more a kind of a statement it is a sort of thing you're sharing your thing and i've been very clear in the preface now i want criticism you know let somebody read it first buy it first buy it then read it then think about what you've read then start criticizing me and saying what you've written here is this absolute nonsense because it's not this is not the way it is but then you tell me you know with like how when we get a referee report the referee is not just allowed to say i don't like this paper he's not allowed to say that or she's not allowed to say that they've got to say why they don't like that and blah 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 and then we reply and then say no no this is because it's like this it's like that so don't forget i have gone through that dharma for 40 years so i am expecting i want criticism actually because uh, that way i want to you know try to see what way suppose i went wrong where did, did i go wrong anyway you know and that's how and that's how it went that was sort of thing so i don't think scientist anybody a lawyer can write today i was told that somebody who is uh, owning a pharmaceutical company in bombay has written a book recently and so lots of people do lots of things today and i feel that uh, also scientists should not become so shy and we should feel that you know we are also able to do it what what's what's the big deal in the end yeah mm -hmm. but sir as from a methodological perspective let's say you know your previous books are crystal engineering you wrote a textbook or crystal design structure and function or 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 the one you wrote with thomas steiner the weak hydrogen bond now now uh, was there a preparatory difference between writing those books like when you're writing a hard science book you know you have papers no, no, you read no. them you do citations like was there any difference no 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 i tell you in a way you know the topic is the same we need a pool says you know in the end they're all the same see i am a structural chemist so you may, that begs the question what is structure the structure is anything with form and more often than not function hmm. uh why do i say more often than not structure always has form because usually structures are something which you make or construct or build or something you build a house why so that somebody can live in it so that's a function without suppose you nobody was going to live in that house you would probably not build the house okay so usually form and function go together so whether it's building a house or writing a constitution there is a structure to it hmm one small side point i'll mention here sometimes you build something without an obvious function simply because it is so difficult to construct hmm. you see that uh, temple picture on the cover of my book is the of course one of the most famous places in india this is the brahadeshwara temple in tanjavur in tamil nadu and everybody knows that there's a big granite sphere on top of that temple gopuram main gopuram which is 60 tons in weight so the function of that temple is worship but 
there is no obvious reason why they wanted to put that 60 ton thing all the way there and big treatises have been written on the kind of engineering things they would have done to get that hoist that 60 ton thing on top of that gopuram so that is an example of doing something simply because it is difficult now why would somebody do something so crazy you know do something construct something which is so difficult that's why you want to construct it because in the process of doing something that is that difficult you get some new methodologies which you didn't know before mm. so you learn how to do certain things which you didn't need to know before so that's why i said it has form and almost always it has function coming back to the constitution there is a structure so you have to build it then i started looking at this whole thing like a structural problem when you say crystal engineering crystal is a structure finally you know how do you build a structure from the little bits the atoms and the molecules you put them all together and then you get a nice crystal so how did they put that constitution together what are the bits and pieces anybody can write a constitution tomorrow you i ten other fellows if we get get them together we'll be able to write a constitution there's nothing i don't think there's any big deal in writing a constitution and they were all let me say intelligent people mostly lawyers i think law being in the law profession helps in writing a constitution perhaps they know all the some of these things and they all had their hearts in the right places that i looked at just reading the debates you know 165 days of debates every day debate i read in great detail and it's a joy to read because then you realize they're all ordinary people who were thrown there together in extraordinary times and in that kind of a situation ordinary person also becomes extraordinary none of them are gods they're all people tomorrow if we are asked Kushal, Desiraju, all sit together and write a constitution. We'll do it. They all had the best interests of the country at heart. That's another thing. And there, as I've written in the book, the range of political opinion was very wide. From ultra-left to ultra-right. It only excluded people who wanted to have armed revolution in the country. Such types were not included in the constituent assembly. So then I looked at it from a construction viewpoint. Now, when you look at a construction viewpoint, now suppose you suppose you know that the bricks you are using to build the house are substandard. You know that because the better brick was not available. But still you have to build the house because the guy wants to come and live in it. Then you will build it, no? And this brings me to the next point. The fault lines in the constitution, all these members knew very well what these fault lines were. They never ever claimed, not even Ambedkar, that they were producing a perfect document. They produced something which they felt was the best, suited to those terrible times and pressures that they were put under. So, and so on and so on and so on. So the entire construction of chapter 2 you know, which is all about how the constitution got written and then the amendments have to do with looking at the constitution as a problem of construction. How was it all put together, the 296 articles and all that? 
why did they do it the way they did? Why do you have fundamental rights separate? Why do you have directive principles separate? I think these are all things that ordinary people should know. Students should know by the age of class 10, class 12, BA, BSc. We should know all these things. This is, this is not some great uh, secret or some highly intellectual thing. It's not at all like that. I mean, here, structural chemistry, he could sit down and write all these things. That means it's not, it's not beyond the limits of, you know, great difficulty or something. It's just that you have to, as I've said in the preface also, use logic. No opinions. I think, I feel, no, I felt nothing. I thought nothing when I wrote this book. Just, yaha data. This is what they did. Why did they say this? Why did this fellow not say this? Those are the questions I was asking myself. And then try to put it back together and then they produce something by 26 Jan 1950, which was the best they could do. And that's when actually the trouble began. Because almost immediately the constitution was not anymore a noble thing which we could look up to but it became a political thing because the amendment started. And then it is very, very bad, Kushal, to change a constitution to suit your political whims of the day. Nambedkar was very much against this. Many a time he said, and I've mentioned in the chapter two, that please don't do this because you leave it to the people to elect the leaders that they want and then let them figure it out how to do and the directive principles give enough leeway to the political parties to do what they, they didn't have to amend the constitution starting with that first amendment and so on and all these amendments and then it became a disease like everybody knows I am not saying anything great or new uh, our constitution is what 72-73 years old we have already had 104 amendments hmm. U.S. Constitution, up to it is what 200 and something 50 years old. It has only got some 27 or 28 amendments. Now you tell me. Yeah. You, you tell me. I mean, just so what did they get right and what did we get so very wrong? You can't go on changing, amending the Constitution because it's Monday, because it's Tuesday, which is what happened after some time. This yeah, is not I, suiting. This is not suiting me. The immediately political. This is not suiting me to get some votes in the next election. So amend the constitution. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you don't you don't fool around with something. And by the way, if something was good to start with, you wouldn't need to amend it. Which is what led me to do that other kind of reverse thinking. So maybe the original thing was not so good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is yeah. what led me, you know, further and further and further. So when you say structure, chemistry, structure, and structure in the constitution. The kind of thinking we do in crystal engineering or building construction or constructing anything at all is the same same kind of arguments you can use for the constitution. It is just the example you are choosing is slightly different if you can get the meaning of what I am saying. Mm -hmm. Now sir, I have to talk about this specific bit from the book and let's focus a little bit of time on this. So everybody talks about the one famous speech of Jawaharlal Nehru, right? Everybody talks about the speech Jawaharlal Nehru gave, but barely anybody knows that there were two other speeches that were made. Three, three other. Three, three other three speeches other. that were made between the 14th and 15th of August, other than Nehru. And I want to read a quote from that one of those speeches. Quote, 
सिविलाइजेशन इज अ थिंग ऑफ द स्पिरिट इट इज नॉट समथिंग एक्सटर्नल सॉलिड एंड मैकेनिकल इट इज द ड्रीम इन द पीपल्स हार्ट्स इट इज द इनवर्ड एस्पिरेशन ऑफ द पीपल्स सोल्स इट इज द इमेजिनेटिव इंटरप्रिटेशन ऑफ द ह्यूमन लाइफ एंड द परसेप्शन ऑफ द मिस्ट्री ऑफ ह्यूमन एक्सिस्टेंस दैट इज वॉट सिविलाइजेशन एक्चुअली स्टैंड फॉर वी शुड बेयर इन माइंड दीज ग्रेट आइडियल्स विच हैव बीन ट्रांसमिटेड टू अस अक्रॉस द एज इज इन दैट द एंटायर डिबेट नाउ सर एंड इट वॉज मैंशन इन द वेरी बिगिनिंग राइट Yes, I mean, if you have you have actually nailed it, Ushal. Those two or three sentences that you have read are yep. probably the most important lines spoken in that midnight debate. Yep, this was by Radha Krishnan ji. Yes, uh, it was basically Radha Krishnan who said that. Yeah, and, and he was basically reiterating uh, Prasad ji's point. Uh, correct. 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 Because as I have written, his was an impromptu speech. Mm-hmm. and as i have written in the book he didn't know that he was going to speak till he came to the chamber apparently mm-hmm. at least this is what the hearsay says mm-hmm. and uh, prasad of course uh, said it in a more emotional way the country that man and god in nature and god intended to be one has been divided into two something like that mm-hmm. so prasad prasad's comment is also deeply civilizational because a civilizational state has associated with it geography you know yeah I so you that, so you mentioned that right the body politic may be divided but the body historic lives on that radha krishnan said that radha yeah. prasad said that the country the land that god and nature intended intended to be one has been split into two yeah the country which was meant by god and nature to be one stands divided today correct correct so i think those two things of what is civilization what was that you said that uh, seeking the answers to the mystery of life and an inward its civilization is an inward thing you contemplate the mystery of human existence and you try to figure out your position in the universe and every and i think i've written every civilization he says i think every civilization does this Mm-hmm. in its way okay whether it's western civilization sanatan dharma or whether it is chinese civilization all the big civilizations ask these questions and this is yes i i guess this is the crux of the book and the fact that this particular thing this civilizational definition of this land finds zero mention in our constitution zero except for the artistic borders painted by nandalal bose or something some ramayana or something like that there is nothing else crucial in the constitution that or some or some uh, quotes here and there in the parliamentary house or some buildings here and there it's not in the constitution ah, that is the satyameva jayate and yeah so that's what the, the, that, that's like extra makeup on the side here and there and even satyameva jayate i have written it is from that mundaka uh, upanishad which is not the religious part actually yeah the, you know truth only triumphs that is that is not civilizational that is a sort of a basic thing that i i guess all human beings ought to know you are not saying anything great when you say truth alone triumphs You could have said truth triumphs, or I, I don't know what. I, I, I didn't. I didn't see the point of Satyameva Jay. I didn't. I don't. I still don't see the point of it. 
I mean, I may be criticized for saying that, but uh, <laughs> you're in, disappointing in the, the Upanishad fans, sir. Huh? No, no, but even there, which which Upanishad, Baba? Suppose it was Chandogya Upanishad, then I would look at it twice. <laughs> there are Upanishads and Upanishads. Come on, I mean, I don't know. But see these other three speeches, as you said there. But you have picked the you have picked the crucial two sentences there. That the whole nothing else need have been said that night except those three sentences, if you ask me. Yeah, but that, sir, that is the quintessential debate of what is called the modern Indian political discourse, right? On one side, you have a certain way of understanding India that India was there was no India. The British created India. India was just a different bunch of principalities, uh, kingdoms, princely states. And then eventually the British left it over. And then this India was divided into two parts, British India. And the, in the Indian side and the Pakistani side, they got these people together. And the only thing that binds these principalities together, you know, I'm trying to steel man the point of uh, one side. And... Uh, that is the constitution of India. And this constitution is the binding factor when it comes to something like this. And on the other side is the argument which uh, which comes across in the quote that I read from your book where you directly quote Sarvapadli Radhakrishnan that, that yes, there is a constitution. We understand that. We are in the process of building one. But the constitution also has uh, the, the society is something beyond the constitution a society has something that binds each other beyond the constitution and what is that binding factor now why is everybody trying to avoid that binding factor and maybe sir you, you made a statement that you know nothing of our civilizational nature has been mentioned in in these discussions or in the in the constitution or nothing of that sort but why would that be the reason Maybe we can talk about that. Why was this heavy denial till the date, till date today, you see hardcore intellectuals in India trying to deny the civilizational nature of India? Okay, there, there are two, three points here, Kushal. So if you don't mind, I'll take them up one by one. Sure. Uh, the answer to the first point you mentioned is that nothing existed before 15 847 and some principalities came together and other principalities went there and so on. I have addressed that question in chapter 5 and I have said that I question the idea, I question India, idea of India itself. Forget some other idea of India or forget the new idea of India or forget the Churchill's idea of India or forget some future idea of India which may come in the future, because I said, I am finding a problem with that word India itself. The moment you say Bharat, no more problem. Everybody knows what the idea of Bharat is. And if you don't know, then you are just doing some self-hypnotism and self-denial or something like that. Idea of India, there is... Certainly, you know, either is multiple, but I question that India name itself. So I'm saying Bharat is the name which makes everything very clear. And Bharat then, those two sentences of Radhakrishnan will fully describe Bharat. So this India thing 
Maybe India existed only after 15847. In that limited sense, they may be correct. But Bharat was there for 5000 years. Bharat will never go away anywhere. And the second point which you said is, I think you said, but what, what is what is the thing that we, are, we could be able to do? No, what was what was your second question here, please? The the point was that if they they say that there is nothing inherently that ties us together. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, okay. I got it. Now, see, forget civilization, forget uh, dharma, forget everything. The word God also is not mentioned. God, and I've written enumerated all the countries in the world who mention God in some form or the other in their constitution. And it's a very long list, including some so-called atheistic countries or secular countries or whatever it is. Now, in God we trust. It's not really in the constitution, but it is the emblem of the U.S. God save the queen. In a country which is which is fully pluralistic today and which happily embraces so many religions, the UK I'm talking about. So what was wrong in mentioning God? I think even God was not mentioned in the constitution. And in the four speeches, only two of the speakers mentioned God. Only Prasad and Radhakrishnan mentioned God. Nehru and Kaliku Zaman did not mention God. Now, there could be why was this not done, you asked? Now, here I'm, I've not written this in my book because it's my opinion. And the readers of the book will find that that book doesn't contain many any of my opinions. I, I feel, I think, no. I felt nothing. I thought nothing. I just looked at the facts and figures and then made conclusions which I thought were logically acceptable. But if you ask me why they didn't even mention God, I think there are two reasons for that. I think the first reason was partition itself. And readers will note that the Constituent Assembly had a life about 9 to 10 months before independence. The Constituent Assembly was set up after the failed Simla conference in 46. So almost for nearly a year they met, although many members of the Muslim League did not participate. But a few members of the Muslim League did participate. And I think till after direct action day, of course, the whole pitch was queered. That was August 46. But I don't think, I mean, this is now, this is my opinion. Maybe the leaders knew, but the general knowledge and appreciation that there was going to be partition, I don't think came into public consciousness till late 46. So even then, I think there is a human reaction to somehow believe that it won't happen. Certainly among the Hindus, no Hindu wanted partition. Very few. Or a few pragmatic people did want, but 
they were very very wise people people who like ambedkar prasad rajaji who even by 41 42 came to the strong conclusion that better we go ahead with partition because it will not be possible to keep muslims in this country i mean that basically that's what they said if you look at ambedkar's book and prasad's book especially which is very little read he wrote in 46 i mean patel said some of these things but actually the things that ambedkar and prasad wrote i think people should they should know about all these things you know they just say trist with destiny trist with destiny kahan hai trist kahan hai destiny abhi i think we have to know why some of these things happen and they they sort of knew that it was happening they didn't want to believe that it could happen and then finally when it has happened you know it's like a death you go through grief in many stages you know and i think these people first there's anger there's denial there is a resignation there's an acceptance and then finally you sort of move along and i think in this process if you this is my opinion i have not really that's why i don't want to write opinions in the book but i can tell in a podcast i think they were very scared that there will be a second partition and that they knew if there was a second partition quickly then the whole country would have collapsed so for fear of offending muslims i think they didn't mention god even though god is a sort of a religion neutral word no the constitution was written in hindi in english not in hindi but is it really sir because the god of the quran and the bible is very different from the issue so, but it's still god no I we can we, know, can, we can argue that hindus don't have a god at a higher level if you talk about upanishads and vedanta the brahman is very different right brahman no brahman is different but i feel that using the word god would have been satisfactory satisfactory enough for many many hindus i mean you cannot argue that krishna is not a god rama is not a god durga is not a goddess you, you can't argue with that i mean okay the inadequacies of let's say translating something into english you're stuck with this word god but the constitution is written in english so they could have easily put in the word god if 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 they felt that putting the word god they'll get a second partition i think that was not correct but they were very scared i think they were very very scared so that was the first reason the second reason i think happened after 261950 when the vote gathering strategy of the congress party had as one of its central tenets the denial of religion in india because when you have the coalition of rainbow coalition of nehru in up of uh, brahmins uh, muslims and scheduled uh, castes basically cutting out that entire middle class middle castes you know so that rainbow coalition demanded that basically you don't religion is not a topic to be touched and gradually it became a sort of thing of denial of god it, it, in a crude way okay it, it was not it not something that was said in so many words 
but simply by not mentioning something for a long time it sort of passes out of consciousness no for some time it is only now after many generations have passed kushal and there are so many young people who don't even know who nehru is who is indira gandhi and they don't know all these things so that now once again you have a chance to sort of start asking questions and one of the reasons i wrote this book i didn't think of this as a reason when i started writing by the way but when i was halfway through the book like some of my papers i wanted the book also to be educational and there is certainly an educational touch in many sections in the book as you have probably seen so i wanted them to know that these things were not there i don't blame anyone you know let me let me be very clear i don't blame the congress party of that time because heaven only knows it is difficult to get an absolute majority in parliament in the first past the post system so unless a political party maybe the congress in the 50s or the bjp uh, these days unless they brand themselves in a very particular kind of way you are never ever going to be able to get a simple majority in the lok sabha so that was the formula that sort of worked for them and i think that gradually became a sort of thing and then after of course the 1971 infamous uh, collaboration between indira gandhi and the communists where in exchange for political support she gave them full control of the educational system of the country an influence of nurul hasan and others that continues till today uh then it became almost like a if you start talking about god then you are anti national or something it, it became like that and uh, i remember uh, when i first joined the university of hyderabad in 1979 it was a wild place almost like a jungle <laughs> and were, uh, it was jungle it was outside you know today you go to gachibol you can't recognize it but in those days there were only snakes and scorpions and all that and we always used to joke that all the ghosts of the battles in golconda would be coming and haunting us in the night it was a really wild place so there were i was employee number 35 or something so very small group so some people got together and said that we want to build a temple in the campus the campus was in those days 3000 acres and we wanted to build a very small temple and uh, temples in campuses are very well known i mean if you go to bhu or something those are very big temples and magnificent ones are you know there were hardly some 50 employees in the university kushal when mm-hmm. some 3 4 fellows said like this immediately the shrieks began now you must have a mosque next to it you must have a gurdwara you must have a church unless you have all these things we won't allow you to have a temple so that was the mood of those days and uh, i think this is the fact that we have problems like this is partly one of the reasons i've written this book so that people know the reasons why this kind of thinking permeates in the country it's very deep it's very deep and it, uh, it has to do with a certain kind of conditioning it also has to do with denial of information of certain types you know today you know you have no idea you people in the younger generation the social media all these things have made a vital difference because nothing is secret anymore 
everybody knows everything if you care to you know sort of look in the right places uh, everybody knows and uh, so you can't really bluff people with this and that and i think partly the political changes have also happened because of we've now got a lot of information but as i have made very clear in the book this is not a political book uh, very 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 rarely is a person or a political party after the emergency mentioned because after that becomes current affairs in my view and i didn't want this book to have such a short shelf life that uh, you write about something and then tomorrow else something happens uh, politically so th those are all ephemeral things so that's why i decided to stop around 1975 around that time after that if you notice in the book i don't discuss personalities anymore except once i think rajiv gandhi i mentioned because of that anti defection bill which uh, one of the very i would say uh, bad acts in the parliament it was very popular when it was passed very strange act because it was widely welcomed passed unanimously but you see it has led to a political result which is totally undesirable so much so that manish tiwari of the congress party has written forcefully against this anti defection bill which his own party uh, put up and uh, so that's why i didn't want to talk but that anti defection was so important for my book that is why i decided to include that one example but after that if you notice none of these people vajpayee is mentioned just once uh, in the context when i think in 95 he said that according to him hindu nation and indian nation are the same so he has made that statement at a function in pune in 95 96 but that's the only time that uh, and manmohan singh is mentioned just once when the statement when he said that the minorities have the first rights to the countries you know assets something like that so for countries resources or something he, he said something that minorities have the first preference or the first choice or something like that so that is the only three examples where political persons have been even mentioned by name otherwise i don't talk about them at all but if coming back to this long answer to that god business i think this is why this god does, and it's a it is it is the, the mistake number 1 in the whole constitution that's very interesting so, and, and, and ironically compared to all these other countries that mention god we are an extremely religious country <laughs> the pupils are very clear on that <laughs> yeah, all, all 100% of indians except one or two atheists and other maybe charvaks and other things but even you are religious in a certain way so the idea of as i have written somewhere sanatan dharma has to be considered even by atheists in this country that is the nature of this thing yeah because it's part of, of their civilization land, you know that's yeah. the nature of this land even an atheist yeah. has to consider sanatan dharma yeah so i i agree i i go to a, a temple it's a religious country you don't mention god at all in the constitution yeah no, i go to a temple wrong. this is not correct yeah and and it's very interesting that you know i and i think we can't blame the british for everything this is our mm -hmm. own doing and and i want to again quote something that uh, radhakrishnan you know he mentions and you quote him our opportunities are great 
but let me warn you that when power outstrips ability we will fall on evil days <laughs> we should develop competence and ability which will help us to utilize the opportunities which are now open to us from tomorrow morning from midnight today we cannot throw the blame on the britisher we have to assume the responsibility ourselves for what we do and this is the bane of our society sir we still blame the british for everything even today in your drawing room discussions over chai coffee breakfast lunch dinner in the cafe everywhere uh, you know we just celebrated azadi ka amrit mahotsav the 75th year and even today i i don't know sir i'm not blaming your generation or my generation this is a uni, you know unigenerational disease that we like to blame someone see we are what i call well uh, I've, i've written about that haven't i yeah and, and we, we outsource anybody be like yeah we blame we, the british we blame americans we blame hindus we blame muslims we blame yes. brahmins we blame babar we blame aurangzeb we blame everything we don't we don't look inside well, mm-hmm. you know and bulle shah had a famous line uh, it had nothing to do with this context but it's actually true when bulle shah ki wad andar vekho keda hai ki look inside what the hell are you and we don't like to do that this is the standard indian behavior don't look at the problem don't look at the trajectory just get over emotional and uh, and it's just over emotional faffing sir but before i take some questions from our viewers i have to ask one more thing which we have to discuss <laughs> you told me in a whatsapp message i am still cackling about it that when you told people the some very yeah. smart people very smart people we are not going to take any names some extremely smart people in the field of science very well known well known names very well known people that they did not know the difference between a democracy and a republic now forget the democracy and a republic that people don't know the difference in the context of india that they don't understand what is the difference between a rashtra and a rajya can we spend at least 5 7 minutes on this now see kushal see guy if if democracy and republic is constitution 101 rajya and rashtra are constitution 401 so that second question is little mushkil hai but i think maybe in your podcast you should give a small prize or something for the best <laughs> the best best reply for what is the difference between a democracy and a republic let's see what they say otherwise please ladies and gentlemen buy my book <laughs> it tells you nicely what the difference between a democracy and a republic is but rajya and rashtra very little kushal i don't know how long we have been speaking now yeah nearly an hour yeah see because i think it's important also because of the way in which media and the political parties are distorting the meaning of this word hindu rashtra in fact we hear hindu rashtra hindu rashtra hindu rashtra all the time we never hear the term hindu rajya and i think many of these people are confusing what they think is when they saying hindu rashtra they mostly mean hindu rajya now what is the difference is a very important difference which i think this again should come into textbook level you see people are they want to jump to quick conclusions they'll say hindu rashtra rss savarkar anti national 
he wrote uh, some mercy petitions to the British. See, it, it goes all over the place. There is no cogent thought stream. To put it very simply, Rajya is the state, the sovereign power of a country, the government, which in our case consists of the legislature, the executive and the judiciary. That is Rajya, the throne, the fellow who sits on the throne. Hmm. That is Rajya. Rashtra is the underlying civilization which more or less gently influences the ethos of the Rajya. It doesn't tell the Rajya what to do because that would make it a theocracy. I'll give you an easy example. In fact, I found the other thing that in reading and writing about the Indian constitution, the easiest constitution to study from is the unwritten UK constitution. <laughs> Not because they were here, but because it has got so many quirks and vagaries. And as I have taken pains to describe in many places in the book, it is the only unwritten constitution in the world which is what makes it very different from all other constitutions. Which is why it is a very poor model for us, because it's unwritten. Anyway, coming back to this unwritten British constitution, I've also explained why the sovereign is so important there. The sovereign in UK, without the sovereign, there won't be a UK. So when we make a paste imitation and call it President of India, Nobody can argue reasonably that without the President of India, there can be no India. That's not the case. But without the sovereign, there cannot be a UK in its present unwritten constitution form. Okay, because the sovereign is the only person who links four nations together. There are four nations there. The English nation, the Scottish nation, the Irish nation and the Welsh nation. So, the sovereign is the only common factor between these. So, he or she is very important. Now, when I say Rashtra, let us see every civilization has a Rashtra. It is not that. So, there is a Western Rashtra. So, when the queen is crowned or the king is crowned, who does the crowning? It is the Archbishop of Canterbury. The Archbishop of York is standing next based on the age-old dispute in the Anglican Church between Canterbury and York. But it is only those fellows who are standing there at the coronation. There they don't bring in the Gurdwara or the Imam or the Pujari and all those fellows. The most solemn thing that they do, that crowning of the new sovereign, it is done according to Anglican rites. No Catholic is allowed to ascend the throne of Great Britain. Charles I lost his head because of that. James II was thrown out 
and they brought in a distant relation that William of Orange, simply because he was a Protestant. So when even till today, a Catholic cannot become the sovereign. Take the US. They have had so many presidents, you know how many 60, 70 presidents they have had. There have been only two Catholics. The present chap Biden and John Kennedy. For a Catholic to become the president of the US, there is a tremendous, I don't know what it is, some sort of a barrier. That is what I mean by this gentle influence of Rashtra over Rajya. Nobody wrote in the US constitution or in the unwritten British constitution. It is just a tradition. Nobody writes in the US constitution that Catholic cannot become president of the US. But in effect, what has happened over 250 years is that only two Catholics became. Now, I only look at that data part. Now, I don't say I think, I feel and all that. This is what history shows us. So when I say, when one says Rashtra, one only means this. It means the civilizational underpinning, foundation, mooring for any Rajya. So the three big civilizations of the world, of course, are ours, the Chinese and the Western civilization. Now today Putin says that the Eurasian civilization is a distinct one. It's an opinion which I tend to agree with. And I think it is sufficiently distinct. It is very different from Western civilization. It has got some some resemblance to Sanatan Dharma. And in fact, some of the new chaps in Russia, one of Putin's advisors and all is talking on these lines actually. And uh, so it's a very interesting churning that's going on in Russia as well. So that is Rashtra. So when somebody goes on shrieking saying, oh, he wants Hindu Rashtra, he wants to you know, do this, he wants to do that. He wants to deprive Muslims of the power to vote and all this. A lot of misconceptions are being spread. Nobody should. Hindu Rashtra is something that is the civilizational thing. If you have any problem, you address it to Hindu Rajya. And a quick look at what is happening today will tell us that there is nothing like Hindu Rajya in this country today, nor will they ever be. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants that kind of thing. It is not necessary. In fact, it is retrograde and it will pull us back. But in this process, you see the clever narrative, the way it is put. I think they know what Hindu Rashtra means, the correct meaning which I have given you. And then they go on shouting about it because they want to bring actually that down. Any Rajya can come down in an election, I say. Tomorrow, if a left-wing, strongly left-wing party wins the election and then forms a government or something, the Rajya will change. You know, so I think that Rashtra Rajya, it's a tricky topic for an audience that doesn't know the difference between democracy and republic. But still, I think it is, again, younger people should realize the difference in this. Nobody, but nobody asks for Hindu Rajya in this country. No sensible person, anyway. Okay, Fair I enough. Hope, yeah, I hope, I hope, you know, it's a, it's a very tricky topic and one has to read no, slowly and then i would i would just add one more thing to this where, and these are my views not yours i believe india is already a hindu rashtra 
But even I go and participate in most of these, these celebrations of this culture and this civilization is because even I'm a part of it. I'm not out of it. Correct. So, and the sooner people realize the, as they say, you cannot ignore your inner essence. And I'll, when, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, sorry to interrupt, Kushal, but I have, since I'm on the same point, since you say you go and participate and do, when post partition, if I tell you Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Hawa Eki hai. Hawa Eki hai. Doesn't matter that the religions are different. It is that Hawa that is the civilization. Yep. Yeah, I agree with I, you. And this is what this is what people should realize. And people often confuse. And this has been the the bane of my uh, of my problem. Uh, when I discuss with some of my good friends on the left, they often confuse the Rashtra and the Rajya. Tell them, tell them to buy my book. Yeah. Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. I will tell them to buy the uh, buy the book. And 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 I've you know I've said that many times that if there is an attempt, and you know, fascinating is that you also have said it on the podcast, and you say it in much more detail in the book. That look, if we try to tinker with the Rajya, beyond a point, it will lead to multiple problems, which we should not. But at the same time, the Rajya, the document of the Rajya should also be unapologetic of the nature of the Rashtra. And this is this is, this is is where I roundly criticize the Congress party. Mm-hmm. Because the Rajya tried to mutate the Rashtra. Yes, and that should not happen. That, 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 that is immoral. That is immoral. I agree with you. It should not, you cannot ignore your inherent nature. And the inherent nature of this dharti that we all love and we all belong to, and even if we are outside India, that dharti's inherent nature is Sanatan Dharma. And whether we like it or not, and when I say Sanatan Dharma, it includes Charvakas, it includes Sankhyas, includes uh, uh, Yoga, uh, yoga, Nyaya, anybody. Advaita, Prob- Advaita. Probably, probably to a large extent Jains. Yes, Jains and 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 Sikh and Buddhist and and if let me be, I'll be even more in the principle of Jar. I think Bulle Shah from Punjab. Now he might be a Muslim, but I think he also was very much in the nature of this. If this Rashtra, you know, you know, you know, you know, you are saying something so accurate, and this again brings one to the. It need not be such a controversial topic. The word Savarkar. It should not. Basically, this is what this is what he was saying. Exactly. He said, and I just, he said, you just love the country in which you are born. Bus. Yeah. And and if they made are, a monster out of Savarkar. They made a monster out of Savarkar. Every day when we start something, you know, Bharata Varshe, Bharata Kande, Jambu Dvipe. Yeah. I mean, that, that is what defines all of us. Anybody who's in this 
plot of land roughly thinks like the hawa ek hi hai i that's the, that's the easiest way i can and it this is a different hawa from anywhere else in the world yep i that i is, i that is, that is the point i agree and, so and such and, a thing such a magical thing this civilizational thing is not captured in our formal book it's completely avoided actually yeah and, and okay, it's not it's not even that they tried to capture it and they failed or made a botch it's not mentioned at all no it's by design it's by design and that's uh, the sad design part. or accident i don't know i i think the people who wrote the constitution were not to blame i think they were in a terrible trauma after partition i think the amendment starting with 26 prime minister congress party i think after that is when all the the blame has to be apportioned only roundly to them yeah and and i'll just read one more quote and then i'll start taking questions to just to sum it up again i use sarvapalli radhakrishnan and in the book you say as early as 12th december 1946 radhakrishnan said quote a nation does not depend on identity of race or sentiment or on ancestral memories but it depends on a persistent and continuous way of life that has come down to us such right. a way of life belongs to the very soil of this land it is there indigenous to this country as much as the waters of the ganga or the snows of the himalayas from the very roots of our civilization in the indus valley to the present the same great culture is represented among hindus and muslims we have stood for the ideal of comprehension and charity all these centuries i think nobody could have said it better i think these these words are emblematic of the indian nation and the indian rashtra so and and the the people people need to understand that the nature of the indian hey, rashtra is also say 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 bharatiya nation from now on <laughs> it okay. is now it is bharat that is india it is no more india that is bharat yeah bharat that is india i agree <laughs> bharat that is india i think we are we are now mature enough if, if you ask me what 75 years means to me mm-hmm. it means that you can throw away that phrase india that is bharat and make it bharat that is india All right. So now, sir, I'll start taking a few questions, and then we'll wrap it up because obviously it's been more than an hour. So this is an interesting question because you, st- I guess, the viewer has asked this question is because you started by a deep dive into reading the constitutional material. So this question is is a technical one, I guess. So what do you think about replacing the current constitution with a bare minimum document? Additionally, is a written constitution really necessary to govern a modern nation? Okay. Okay. There are two points here. i do believe that the shorter the constitution the better mm-hmm. and a shorter constitution will inspire the people to be more honest because you can you, you can go on making a long constitution to take into account every possible crime that will be committed and then somebody will find a new crime which is not there and you will need an amendment mhm so the us constitution for example should be everybody's inspiration a short constitution that simply talks about universal things like some of the quotations you have put out today i think that uh, shorter is better what was the second part of the question ma i'll read it again uh, the second part of the question was uh, pretty much on the same lines it was an extension of that uh, is a written constitution really necessary to govern a modern nation yes yes i i i believe so because uh, once again by the book read the book 
you will realize what an unusual constitutional history Britain has had. Firstly, they had 1000 years. Huh? They took them 1000 years to perfect this unwritten constitution. We don't have 1000 years. No, no country has had 1000 years. Every country has had at the maximum a year, two years. So, in fact, I'm asking for a new constituent assembly in the book. And I think typically in today's modern telescope timescales, the thing will have to be done in about a year. And uh, unless it is written, we don't have anything. We don't have the, the strength of time, you know. I mean, if you had 1,000 years, I'll say, sure, go ahead. Let's go for an unwritten constitution. But we don't have 1,000 years. So better we try to write something which at least, you know, Ambedkar had many emotions and he tried to put some of them in writing. So a little bit of that if we can do, but with putting the civilizational underpinning and we have not mentioned the word dharma even once in this podcast. And of course, it, it features everywhere in the book. So the dharmic underpinning, I call it, if that can be done, and as you know, this can be very easily done in a religion-neutral manner because of Sanatana Dharma, because of no, nothing else. And therefore, I think this is what should be done. And I think it should be written and it should be short and it should be something that can be finished in one year. And I have also uh, described in Chapter 4 how this should actually be done because we have a precedent for that in the old Constituent Assembly also, how the new assembly should be formed how the judiciary should have nothing to do with that new constitution, etc., etc. There are a lot of auxiliary things like reform of the judiciary and etc., etc., etc. But uh, I mean, the book is 400 pages, so you know you'll find many of these things there. Yeah, but thank you uh, for this question. Yeah. Though, so uh, this is the natural question then uh, somebody asked, and it just falls naturally. Then, do you think will there ever be a republic 2.0? It's inevitable. Really? That's it's interesting. It's inevitable because I tell you something. These things are not decided by politicians. They are decided by people. And as I've said in the book, and you will all realize how very difficult it is for one party to get a simple majority in the Lok Sabha in a country like India with the first-past-the-post system of conducting elections. So the very fact that this has happened not once but twice, 2014 and 2019, means only one thing, Kushal. It means we Indians know who we are finally. We Indians knew who we were in an emotional sort of way between 1950 and 1967. That is why there was a single party rule in the Lok Sabha till then. From 1967 to 2014, we Indians have not known who we are. And that is why we exper experimented with so many things, so many coalitions, Tam, RJD, LJD, BJD, something, BJP, so many things. DMK, ADMK, PMK. This and that. Tamil Nadu has got 80 political parties, you know. I guess they have a lot of spare time. I don't know. I don't know what they have. They have lots of things which the rest of us don't. But anyhow, uh, 
we have been experimenting because basically we didn't know who we are now we know who we are and i can tell you i have already written this in the book if a political party doesn't give us what we are asking for in these majorities then we'll throw them out i that i'm very sure mm. anybody so who doesn't give us what we want now we'll throw them out because now we know who we are and i think any party which is in power with such a thing had better take us seriously now because now it is like a it is like a tsunami everybody is in sync by everybody i mean 50 60% of people in this country you can never have it's not a 100% thing because it's a very still it's a very diverse thing and so many people will think so many but by and large on certain broad things i think we indians know who we are finally you know finally we have been able to throw these the psyche of this white person you know out of our minds because now we have a whole generation upon generation of young people in india who don't even know what a white man is and i think this is very very good because all they were doing that thing was just cramping our style because if you go on telling somebody for 200 years 300 years that he is no good then after some time he or she begins to feel that really they are no good you know we are only human after all in the end so i think that it is it, bound to happen it has to happen there is no and if the political party doesn't do this for us we'll throw out the political party this is very clear because one one of the things we know is it's a real democracy we enjoy elections we enjoy throwing people out whom we don't like ah so, so that is there's no doubt about that so abhi i view it in a very positive trajectory as i've written republic 1.0 is definitely over on the 14th of may 2014 of that there is no doubt and there will never be a return to a dynastic rule in this country of that also i have no doubt when republic 2.0 will begin is the question it will probably be a slow beginning because it is not going to be a violent revolution it's not going to be a bloody revolution but it is going to be a revolution of the mind so then starting will be gradual no. it's already happening no it's already happening so just a follow up to that do you think in that republic 2.0 what the first past the vote system would be better or a proportionate representation kind very, of very very good question very good question i don't know the answer to this question after reading about proportional representation and first past the post first past the post works i'm sorry i'm doing something which i said i'll never do in the book i feel i think <laughs> i feel first past the post is still better for a diverse country because i'll tell you why there's a simple arithmetical reason for this if we have proportional representation today then the move to republic 2.0 will be slower that's why it's not a real reason but i think it's a pragmatic enough reason I think that's a fair answer because I think proportionate representation in the age of identity politics can be really problematic. No, it it will be crazy because you know anybody with you know anybody can say anything and nothing will get passed in the parliament. So, uh, but I have written about this at length in the book. More countries follow proportional representation than first past the post today. Exactly. 
and many countries have changed from first past the post to proportional no country has changed back mm -hmm. exactly. you have to keep it in mind yes I this, is all data. this is data so this is what i mean by data as opposed to i think i feel you know mm -hmm. yep i i i agree with you because all right what, sir. You think, what you think and what you feel is immaterial what does the data tell us mm -hmm. so yep. you know, the three countries why did they change from proportional to first past the post but somehow i feel for india it's, it's not going to work not now not now when we want rapid changes uh-huh uh-huh all right. I don't know so, whether sir, my answer is good or it pleases the person who asked the question, but this is what I think. Oh, the, this was more my question. Uh, but yeah. before we wrap it up, one last thing. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we wrap up today's discussion? Any last I Yes, I, there is did? something to say. Sure, please. Pre-order price is very good. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so guys, you heard... Uh, uh dr the dr desi raju so so, ha, so he said the pre-order price is very good now i'll talk the next bit so when you go to the description of this podcast whether you're watching this on youtube or you're listening to the one on spotify or itunes or google Podcasts or stitcher wherever you are basically in the description of the podcast you'll find a link where you can go and buy this book so pre-order the book uh, I think the book officially comes in the market, sir, in September, right? The first week of September. It's, come, it's coming on 5th, which happens to be, incidentally, the birth date of uh, Professor Radhakrishnan. Awesome. Awesome. That's the date. That's the date it's going to be released, apparently. That's what they tell me. So, on when it's released, obviously, the price goes up. Yeah. So, the pre-order price is uh, will hold till that date. It All was right. announced on the 15th of August. And uh, I'm told, I don't know, but I'm told that the pre-orders are going fine. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and, and it's going to be available on all your regular platforms, Amazon, etc. So please go and buy the book. It is a fantastic book. Obviously, I have read the book. I could read the book. Well, I, 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 I always get access to books before because I run a podcast. So, But you guys, please pre-order this book. I think this is a very good book. And what I like about this book is it is a continuing discussion to uh, to a to a topic that has been raised by many people and i will take names from all parts of the spectrum in indian discourse so whether you have read shashi tharoor whether you have read the book written by harshmadu sudan gupta and rajiv mantri whether you have written uh, read uh, the work of jsi deepak this book is a great addition to that that larger discourse about the nature of the indian rashtra what should be the indian rajya what should be the way forward? So, uh, you know, Dr. Desi Raju, thanks a lot for writing this book and thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. It's entirely my pleasure, Kushal, and I've enjoyed talking with you. And I thank the people for the questions they have asked. And this should provoke more discussion, you know. This is not, uh, this is not the first word, it's not the last word. But I think this is something that young people should start getting involved in because it's your country, it's your constitution. All right, guys, we'll wrap today's discussion up. Once again, go to the description of the podcast, pre-order the book. Uh, you can pre-order it right now. Also, if you want to support the Charvak podcast, you know the drill. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can like this video. You can leave the comments below. You can also go and follow uh, Professor Desi Raju on Twitter. I've left his Twitter ah, handle yes. in the description. Ah, yeah, that'll help. 
<laughs> yeah so i i've also left his twitter handle over there you can also follow me on twitter or you can support the charvak podcast monetarily by becoming a member on youtube or by becoming a subscriber on patreon or buying the merch or sending your donations to upi i will see you guys next time until then namaste take care bye bye